you are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see... You are about to see... That belongs in a museum! You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. That belongs in a museum! Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Treasury Cast, the show that celebrates the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. Proud member of the Fire and Border Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me this month to talk about two very special Flash Gordon-related Treasury Editions is my pal, fellow podcaster, friend of the network, and big-time Flash Gordon fan, Nicholas Prom. Hi, Nicholas. Hi, Rob. It's great to have you on this show. It's great to uh, finally get on the Treasure Cast. I, I love this show. Thank you. I have to let you know that as of this appearance, you have four shows of mine under your belt. So you were only one more away from being designated a Kelly's Hero, which is the, the award I'm giving to anyone who makes five appearances on my sh- any of my solo shows, five different solo shows. So you're only one away at this point. I know we got to. F- I got to figure out which one I haven't been on that I can <laughs> that we can knock out. But you haven't done. Uh, you haven't done Super Friends yet. That's probably the easiest one to do, right? I imagine you haven't done. I, I could, I could do Super Friends. You sure. could do Super Friends. All right, there we go. We could sure. talk about I'll do Super, Super Friends. Friends. You've <laughs> done Film and Water. You've done Pod Dylan. You've done Mashcast, and now, now we're doing Treasury Cast. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and Mountain I'm... Comics. I could get you on Mountain Comics sometime too. We could do that as well. Maybe. So, maybe. so uh, anyway, um, you know, look. Not that this show of mine is not a monthly indulgence because I'm <laughs> talking about Treasury Editions. Uh, you know, singling them out as some sort of special holy creature among comic book publishing. But this episode, they are. <laughs> yeah, well, they are. That, I'd see that's They're why I did the show. You know, like, but, I but I will say uh, this episode is even more of an indulgence because, as some of you might know from if uh, you follow me on social media, uh, I have gone down a Flash Gordon rabbit hole lately, and that is because in the last month I have come into possession of a vintage 1979. Bally's Flash Gordon pinball machine. <laughs> I never thought I would ever own a pinball machine. I love pinball. I love it more than video games. I always did, even as a kid. I never thought I would ever own a machine because they're so expensive and yada, yada, yada. And then uh, this game uh, fell into my lap. A, a friend of a relative wanted to get rid of it, and uh, he was giving it away for free. All he, well, the only request was I had to get it out of his house. Now, of course, anybody would say yes to that, right? I mean, there's no way you would turn that down. But the only problem was um, the Flash Gordon pinball machine is made of solid wood. Apparently newer games are like more like aluminum and stuff. This thing weighs 500 pounds. Ooh. So, <laughs> right. So uh, my pal and guest of uh, various podcasts of mine here on the network, Corey Drew, him and I tried to move it out of this guy's basement one Saturday afternoon and we couldn't move it <laughs> because it's, as I said, it's 500 pounds. I can lift a lot, but I can't lift that much. So, yeah. um, yeah. Uh, and the, on the other, the other, uh, the other kind of asterisk was the game doesn't work. The game did not work and it stopped working mm-hmm. for this guy and he just wanted it out of the house. But I, I sort of crowdsourced it on Twitter and people were like, 
you have to take this. You have to try. You have to leave <laughs> so Corey and I tried to get out. We couldn't do it. I then went onto a website called TaskRabbit. I don't know if you're familiar with them at all. Have you heard of no. them, Nicholas? Oh, no. Okay. TaskRabbit is a site where you just go online and you can like hire people to do just random jobs. And maybe you can like hire to get people killed or something. I don't know. But, but it's random things and including moving because I tried to hire regular movers, but unfortunately a regular mover is not built to get one item. Because right. they, need to, they need to charge you like three hour minimums and all this stuff. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah right. So people were quoting me prices for like $1,400 oh. to move this. Thing. Right. I'm like, well, I can't, you know, come on. But luckily I found somebody in the area that would move it for 450 bucks. Great. Dang. We go over there. They do it. The guy that showed up with his buddy, the guy, <laughs> he was like six, six and huge and like 25. So him mm-hmm. and his him and his much more uh, shorter but wider buddy had mm-hmm. the thing out of the guy's basement in ten minutes. It was a wow. boom, 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 boom up. So they installed, they put it in 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 our apartment. It's in the studio here. It's literally, uh, in fact, I'll. That's me uh, knocking on it as I'm sitting here. Um, we got it all. We got it, uh, you know, set up, but it didn't work. And I was like, well, I'm gonna look into getting it fixed. That could be very expensive. I learned that pinball is like owning a <laughs> it's like owning a boat where like you can keep sinking money into it. But luckily, mm-hmm. my brother-in-law, the one who helped me get it in the first place, is an electronic whiz. He's a builder. He's a tinkerer. He loves making stuff. And uh, he happened to be in town just this weekend, the day before um, we're sitting here recording this. And he helped. He started sending me uh, capacitors and like diodes and all these little things to help get it fixed. And we watched videos, watched a bunch of YouTube videos. And eight hours later, he fixed it. So now I have a fully functioning Flash Gordon pinball machine. I am so in love with this thing. (laughs) I can't. I'm I'm thrilled for you and and also very jealous. Uh. I can't, I mean, look, I would be too if someone else, I mean, I never, again, I said, I never thought I'd own a pinball machine. And I thought if I ever did have one, it would be like one of those generic ones. You know what I mean? Like racing pinball or, you know, whatever, not something tied to a character that's been around and tied to the movie. I mean, it's got the, the back glass artwork is gorgeous. You've got Sam Jones as flash Gordon. Now, have you ever played this, this game, Nichols? Maybe. Um, Are you a, were you a pinball kid? I should ask. You start there. Did you play a lot of pinball? So I didn't play a lot of pinball. I like pinball. I, I play it here and there, and I always enjoy it. But I don't like seek out going. Oh, we gotta get. I got pinball fever. It, right. I don't have right. that. So there are um, there are pin. Obviously, I live in a major city, so there are pinball machines around. Um, and there's an arcade that has quite a few, and That's I cool. think they do have a. Uh, uh, a Flash Gordon. Oh wow! You may have played it. Wow, but, that's pretty cool. All right. Yeah, yeah. I I I have watched documentaries. I have, <laughs> I started buying Flash Gordon ancillary material, and in fact, um, to to first. Okay, so the the game came with three keys because there's a key mm-hmm. for the uh, you know the front piece, and then there's two keys for the the um the top part which helps you uh unlock the glass if you want to take it out so i'm like well i got these three loose keys i gotta get a keychain so i went to etsy and bought a flash gordon keychain right (laughs) and then i needed something to hold all the bits and pieces from the patch kit and all the capacitors all the little 
bric-a-brac that you need for the game. So I bought a Flash Gordon lunchbox. That and I've been, that's a beautiful lunchbox. I've been eyeing the very one uh, as well. So. Yeah, the Dark Horse made it in 2000, and it, it comes with all the vintage Alex Raymond artwork, so I bought that. And <laughs> then on eBay, I shouldn't even be looking, but I did. Some, <laughs> someone was selling the, the flyer that they Bally sent out with the game, and it's die cut, and it's got this shot of Ming saying, uh, pathetic earthlings, who can save you now? And you fold it open, and then there's all this detail about the game. And then it was, it's full color, two-sided, and it was sent to, I guess, arcades by Bally to kind of like drum up interest. And so I bought that thing. And so now I got to get that framed because it's so gorgeous. So I, I, I am just completely going down the rabbit hole. And in fact, this will be the first of two Flash Gordon-related podcasts coming from me on the network in the next couple of weeks, there'll be a Saturday morning fever where we're going to be talking about the Flesh Gordon filmation cartoon of which I watched oh, all 24 episodes. That so, is a wonderful cartoon. Yeah, it's, it's so fun. It's, absolutely. It's available free on Freevee that, which is used to be oh, on Tubi. Yeah. Yeah. You, well, it's also on Tubi, but IMDb TV is now called Freevee for whatever oh, reason. And it's there okay. as well. So huh, I watched all, right. all of that. So man, I am just, I, I'm all in. So this, this lined up perfectly because I then joined the Flash Gordon Death to Ming fan group on Facebook run by you, Nicholas. So how, why, yeah. did you, why did you start this group? And how did your Flash Gordon fandom start? Because we've never really talked about Flash Gordon. I didn't know you were that into it, the fact that you started a whole group on Facebook about it. Well, it's funny because I feel like this – like, I liked Flash Gordon. But for some reason, this year, like – became like it became an obsession for me (laughs) i I can't really explain it other than it's you know flash it kind of falls into i love the 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 heroic archetype of the morally perfect you know the superman the captain america type the square jawed Mm -hmm. uh implacable hero hero kind of guy right hero of heart like that's 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 my kind of stuff and um i got i started really getting into comic strip adventure strip reprints. I really got into like, uh, like getting into like uh, reading um, Dick Tracy and flash Gordon reprints among other things. And, you know, I'm more of a science fiction guy than a detective fiction guy. So like the flash stuff just really uh, spoke to me. Uh, uh, I've been um, collecting as much comic strip and comic book material that I can, you know, get my hands on. And uh, I've been I've been having a lot of fun. I met Sam J. Jones uh, like oh, a, really? a month or so ago. Uh, yeah, uh, shout out to uh, a good friend of mine, Colin Stapleton. He drove us three hundred miles round trip to go and meet uh, Flash Gordon. <laughs> How was that? It was great. He's a, Sam's a nice guy. <laughs> That's good. That's good. To yeah, know. yeah. Um, and uh, was very cool. A very cool experience. And. Uh, yeah. Oh, so I started the group just because I'm just like, okay, I'm I'm into this. I didn't even like look for other Flash Gordon groups, of which there are. Sure. But, uh, but starting my own was fun, and then I'm not flooding somebody else's group with a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and it's really been uh, uh, a hoot. Um, there's uh, a lot of uh, folks who are really passionate about this character. And um, do you know Aaron Bias? Because man, boy, that's sure, a guy. Of course. Talk. Yes. Yeah, that's boy. That's a guy to talk to to about Flash Gordon, <laughs> and yeah, but yeah, um, uh, I just love this stuff. I just like I was like this was like a favorite character that was just kind of like 
waiting for me to embrace mm-hmm. if that makes sense no sure yeah, right it was just there it's been it's been around since 1934 for pete's sake so yeah when you were a kid did you watch the uh, the movie serials because i did they, they used to run them on one of the local uhf stations and i remember watching those buster crab uh serials all the time well you know i didn't see the serials when i was a kid i think i've seen them kind of um at some point later but um what i did i do finally remember seeing the 1980 film uh, on television as a kid. And that was, you know, it's, it's a really a fun movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it was, you know, bright and colorful, like, you know, like, which is kind of like uh, what I want to see in, in this sort of fiction, this mm-hmm. kind of movie, you know, like I love Adam West Batman and I love the Warren Beatty <laughs> Tracy movie. And so this is like right in that wheelhouse, that kind of the, the day glow colors or the, excuse me, the pop art look. And uh, yeah, it's just wonderful. And, and, and I, I, I just love the, the, the whimsical adventure, like the fun, you know, <laughs> I never really made the connection before, but boy, uh, like flash Gordon and Dick Tracy, the movies would make a killer double feature. If somebody oh, yeah. ever wanted to do that, I never really thought to pair them together, but yeah. comic strips, same kind of approach. That would be, that would be a, gangbuster way to spend a couple hours at the movies if everybody oh, yeah. wanted to do that well, that would be and, great and dig this dick tracy and flash gordon are the superman and batman of the comic strips you know and they predate them you know mm-hmm. that's right you know that's like right. one's the great science fiction hero the great detective hero that's cool i never thought of it that way <laughs> that's true yeah. that's right well, yeah, and, yeah and go back to the day, the times of the movie serials okay okay both of these characters had radio shows Popular comic strips. Flash Gordon had three movie serials. Dick Tracy had four, plus uh, several other features in a television series. Like these were massive, massive media properties in the first half of of, uh, of the twentieth uh, century. You know, uh, it is would be like the Marvel movies of of the forties. Oh, sure. You know, sure. And the and the serials of, of, of Flash and of Dick Tracy are lots of fun. But I just think, like, what are these, these were, these were uh, multimedia monoliths, you know, at the time. And, they did, you know, over time, they've kind of petered out uh, uh, in the popular culture, which is sad. Um, but, um, yeah, great stuff. Yeah, uh, that's uh, I, yeah. Oh man, now now I really want to watch Dick Tracy and Flash Gordon back to back, kind of. Now I would go. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that was really fun. on Tubi now. Yeah, stick an episode of Batman in the middle as like a little, oh, little, <laughs> a little, you know, like a little, uh, I don't know, like a palate cleanser between the sure. two. <laughs> Be really amazing. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the 1966 Batman and yeah. like you know, uh, uh, that movie and uh, Doc Savage, Man of Bronze. There's <laughs> a double feature. <laughs> I love point. that movie. That's fine. <laughs> it's, it's okay. <laughs> we can talk about that some other time. So, um, okay. So, are we've we've been going on for twenty minutes. We haven't mentioned the treasury yet. So let's talk about let's talk about these treasuries, these Flash Gordon treasuries, because there there okay. are there are in fact, uh, well, there's more than two, and we're gonna kind of get into the details of that uh, in a minute. The first one I want to talk about is a series of uh, treasury editions. They were they were named. Giant Comic Album, which is the most dull name imaginable, but yeah. they were called by a company called Modern Comics, and they were all reprinted. They were all printed, excuse me, in 1972, and they featured strip reprints. Uh, yeah. That's it. And, and so there were there was a whole line of these things. They did Beetle Bailey, 
Barney Google and Snuffy Smith, Blondie, Henry, the Cats and Jammer Kids, Little Iodine, Mandrake, Popeye, and of course, Flash Gordon. Now, the Flash Gordon treasury, uh, there'll be some pictures of it on the website on the gallery post. Uh, I haven't been able to find scans of these at all, so I, the pictures may just be from my phone, so I apologize, everybody. But um, they are, these reprints are no frills in the in the extreme. That is true. Uh, they're black and white on the inside. They're color covers. It's the same cover on the front and back. And there's nothing on the inside covers. And there's really no presentation other than just some strips. Now, of course, Flash Gordon, you know, as opposed to some of these others, like Beetle Bailey and Popeye, which are all humor strips, the Flash Gordon one attempts to, to tell a complete story. Uh, in its pages and so they're at least making some effort to kind of give you a beginning middle and end of storyline yeah. as opposed to some of these others which are just humor strips but th- it's funny enough this this uh, the the re- the era that they're reprinting from is not the alex raymond no years, which you would think would kind of be the thing that they would reprint because obviously he was the creator of the character and his strips still remain kind of the most famous but they're reprints from dan barry who actually when I was doing my research on Flash Gordon, I'm learning a lot about this, had a way longer run on the strip than Alex Raymond ever did. Oh, I mean, yeah. Went, I by, mean, Raymond by, did the series for like three years. Yeah, by like a factor of 10. So it makes sense that they would reprint Dan Barry because, I mean, he was still doing the strip at that point and he had been the guy. And in fact, I had read about that when Alex Raymond went off to World War II to, to you know, he quit the strip to go to fight in World War II, they had assigned the strip to Dan Barry. Raymond comes back and he goes to King Feature Syndicate and he's like, hey, I want to pick up Flash Gordon again. And they're like, well, no, we're kind of happy with Dan Barry, which is <laughs> amazing. You think about some company saying no to Alex Raymond and then ended up, he ended up uh, moving on to a different strip. And I have a brief story about, about that as well. But mm-hmm. this treasury, the, this modern, pro- do you have any other of this series, Nicholas, these giant comic albums? You know, I don't. I mean, I want to pick up the Mandrake one at some point. Hmm. Um, Flash Gordon's co-member of Defenders of the Earth, of course. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it, they made some odd choices with those. It's like, they're all King Features characters. And okay, I th- feel like they went, they leaned heavy on on picking up the humorous trips. And I think like the Treasury is like, come on, let's let's get the adventure stuff happening. Like, mm-hmm. like why there isn't a Phantom or Prince Valiant one mm-hmm. boggles the mind in, in favor of Henry, which is, do people remember that strip? Or little, <laughs> little, little mute bald kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What an exciting thing to look at, at these giant on these giant pages. Little but, iodine was anybody yeah. in 1972 dying for little iodine to come back? Like, and, well, and I think even at the time, then those strips were like kind of half forgotten. So yeah. it's a weird, you know, cats and jammer kids. I I get it because that's it looms large in 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 the history of early comic strips. But uh, some of some of those choices were a bit puzzling. <laughs> yeah, uh, there is virtually no information on these stri- on these books at all. In fact, when I was building my treasurycomics.com site in the early two thousands, and I was scouring eBay for treasuries, uh, I mean, of course, the word treasury gets used gets thrown about pretty easily. Anytime there's a collection of anything, they're called treasuries. And so, you know, my eBay searches would flag a lot of stuff that were not treasuries because it would be like, you know, the children's treasury of uh-huh. you know, Christmas stories. And we're like, oh, that's not what this is. But I found these things. And, and 
uh, thanks to comics.org, uh, I was able to kind of be able to figure out, be pretty certain that the titles that I just mentioned were the complete run. They didn't do any more other than the ones that I mentioned. But like I said, yeah. I there's no ads. And this modern promotions thing is just like stitched at the very bottom of the first page. There's no other, there's no other, there's not, there's no ads for like any of the other ones. So it's like, this feels like a publisher somehow got the rights to these things for, for very cheap, by the way, they're only 59 cents. Yeah. It was even cheaper than a DC and Marvel treasury at the time, which were a dollar that like they probably, some publisher got the rights to do these things on the cheap. And was able to say, you know what? We can stock these in department stores and news and newsstands and grocery stores, and maybe move a couple of copies. But other than that, like, there's just it's you don't get the sense that there's any again. There's like no there's no like presentation to it at all. It's just Flash Gordon. Here's a bunch of Flash Gordon trips. The end. Like, <laughs> like yeah, okay, yeah, okay. I don't you even know. think they wrote the end. Yeah, but, no, uh, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's just like um, okay. it's interesting. And and modern promotions. They have one other claim to fame in that there was a time when you remember the times of like the, the, the Marvel or the Whitman uh, three packs. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We love those. Those are wonderful. Well, modern promotions under the imprint of modern comics did those three packs and they reprinted Charlton Mm. stuff. And I'm like, wow, you just scraping the bottom of the barrel. (laughs) But, um, I will say the the, the the Charlton stuff they picked is, is pretty good. They did, they did like E-Man and um, Vengeance. I think it's Vengeance Incorporated or something like that. It's a Pete Morisi strip. It's mm-hmm. very cool. Things like that. So it's like at least they picked good good material. But but yeah, um, I do have – I did some research and I do have some credits for this um, uh, for this treasury. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so So going back to Dan Barry, yeah, he did – he worked on Flash Gordon from 1951 to 1989, but most of that time he was like, uh, he, he used a ton of assistance. And from 1968 onward, he only did Sundays. So none of his art is in, in the interior of this, this comic. Really? Uh, this isn't him at all? This is, these it are isn't all him ghosts? at all. Oh my this God, I didn't ghosts. know that. Oh wow. It's all ghosts. <laughs> and so I'm going to get onto that. So the cover might be Dan Barry. Although it off, it looks an awful lot like uh, Jack Sparling art, which it I, I kind of look like Jack Sparling when you say it, doesn't it? Yeah, and talking about an artist nobody really talks about, but but yeah, um, and then the story itself, um, which is ran from uh, October of 1968 through uh, February of 1969, would have been like dialogued and co-plotted uh, by Dan Barry uh, and written by. Um, uh, famous science fiction author uh, Harry Harrison. He wrote the story that was the basis for Soylent Green. Wow. Yeah. So I couldn't nail down who the artist, the interior artist are, is, but I suspect that it may be Frank Giacoya, Frank Giacoya, <laughs> excuse me, or even Irv Novik, but I'm not sure. I, I really, it's hard to attribute uh, comic strip stuff because it's not like a great database. Yeah, yeah. You know, to pull from to, to, to research this stuff. So some of it is like kind of guesswork. Uh, and so I, I cannot, with any certainty, uh, attribute the artist, but it is not Dan Barry. Um, okay. Wow. I did not know that. That's, I mean, I yeah. knew that comic strips use ghost artists constantly. So oh I guess I shouldn't be that surprised by that. But still, I just would have, but the fact that 
Dan Barry's name is on the cover. Like it's got this drawing and then there's this big signature by Dan Barry. So he's kind of doing like a by Bob Kane kind of thing where he's just putting his name on everything. Yeah, kind of. Um, yeah. So the, the, the storyline is basically um, Frank, uh, Frank, excuse me, Flash and Dale <laughs> and Dr. Zarkov, uh, they're doing like this experiment and they go back and they end up going back in time to uh, to Earth and they, they run into the Vikings uh, they, and they have this whole adventure with dealing with uh, this, these, this tri- tribe, I don't know if that's the right term, uh, of Vikings and they get into this adventure. Now, I liked it. I thought it was fun to read. I think yeah. the, artwork, the artwork was pretty good. It actually held up pretty well at a, at a larger size. But again, I am sort of curious as to why if you're going to reprint, you're going to do like a treasury edition of Flash Gordon, you wouldn't do Ming? Like right? You wouldn't just I go for the too. center thing and do the thing everybody knows? Yeah, I, I, I also was kind of like, and also it's like, yeah, okay, it's science fiction-y in that they, they're in their spaceship at the beginning and end. And, you know, and time travel is in it. But it's like, this could be, this could have been a Prince Valiant story. Really? Yeah. You know? Um, it is an odd choice. I mean, it's, I get that, okay, this whole, the whole storyline fits nicely in this book. And it's, you know, beginning, middle, and end. And, okay, it's just an adventure with Flash Gordon and, and Zarkov and Dale. You know, it's a good story. It's, an, it was enjoyable. Um, I, 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 and, you know, all the elements, you know, with the, you know, uh, the friendship and the camaraderie between Flash and Zarkov and, and so on uh, is great. Dale is a excellent damsel and Zarkov is, I think, sort of the glue of the strip because, you know, without, <laughs> without his inventiveness or whatever, it's like, well, Flash is resourceful, but we got to have a science guy. <laughs> yeah, know? right. Yeah. You know, uh, but I, I thought this was cool. I thought this was cool. Interesting to note, uh, there's a ton of Dan Barry stuff. You remember, uh, in the seventies when Temple books did those six volumes of black and white DC reprints. Oh sure. I have a few yeah. of them. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're great. Well, in 1980, they did six volumes of flash Gordon reprints from the Dan Barry run. But most of it, the art is actually by Bob Fujitani and it's beautiful. Oh wow. That's cool. I saw that he was one of Dan Barry's assistants. I also noticed it said Joe Kubert helped him out. I didn't know oh, that. Yeah. Oh, wow. There's even That's... like, I mean, there's even like stuff where like, Oh, Neil Adams, uh, Rosetta pops in, um, Jack. Rosetta. Oh my God. Can well, you I imagine mean, that? Harvey Kurtzman worked on flash Gordon. That's crazy. That is yeah, crazy. That is the last artist you would think, you know, you know, I mean, you know, Kurtzman's style. Yeah. But... That's yeah. I'm ch- trying to imagine how that would blend it all with. Yeah. Yeah. Know, how could and how could Frank Frazetta even go remotely fast enough to do even a, like a couple of panels? Like it was so yeah. meticulous. I, I mean, like I have a collection of stuff where it's like some of these guys they're coming and they're just helping out with certain, you know, it's like a, a couple panels or parts of a panels. Like there's some I, I got some stuff where Al Williamson uh, is just helping out, but you don't really spot the Al Williamson style. Hmm. You know. Um, it's it's unfortunate he he loved Flash Gordon that's the thing he wanted to do the most, but he never got to do the comic strip. He um, he did like a handful of 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 comic book issues over his career, like maybe a dozen. Hmm. And uh, and it's it's great. It's some of the best <laughs> best looking Flash Gordon art. Yeah, sure. Al Williamson. Yeah, Al Williamson. Williamson. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, like you said, it's it's when I finally started getting these books off of eBay, uh, I was like, I got them and I was like, oh, okay. 
Yeah, because they were just yeah. they were just so dumb. Like again, like I know that whoever was mo- whoever Modern Promotions was, whoever like whoever what this company was, I'm sure it was you know a couple of executives and then sure. a bunch of paste up bunch of paste up guys. You know that that's all that it <laughs> yeah. was. That was the whole company. But like the, like on the final page, right of the Treasury, the strip the, the strip ends with in the middle of the page because that's the end of the story they don't have any more panels so the the bottom third of the page is just empty and you're like you guys couldn't even be bothered to put together like a little blurb that's like hey kids did you like this well maybe you'd like blondie or the cats and jammer like it seems so strange that you wouldn't even be bothering to promote your other product to the to to the to the audience who bought this one it seems so strange I think modern promotions is a bit bit on the fly by night side. I mean, yeah. like we know them from two things, you know. Yeah, yeah, I guess. So. Uh, now, I I have to say when you you mentioned this to me a while ago, and I was like, oh, it lines up perfectly with my Flash Gordon pinball game. We could do this episode. I said to you immediately, oh yeah, I have those, and and we'll do it. And then I went to consult my shelf, and they were all gone. And then I remembered that when I moved a couple of years ago, I had to store some of my. Uh, all my comics uh, somewhere and they got water damage. Some of them oh. got water damage and all those modern promotions treasuries got destroyed because they got, and so the flesh core, I didn't have it anymore. So I had to buy it again. So even though I find this book a little underwhelming, I've now bought it twice. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, dedicated fan. I am to the, to the treasury format. At least it's a decent read. You know? It is. Oh, it was. No, like I said, just, I read it on I, a couple afternoons ago. I pulled it out and I just read it cover to cover. Like I had a baseball game on in the background, you know, sure. it was a nice, beautiful sunny day and it was highly enjoyable. It's a fun adventure. It absolutely oh, yeah. is. It's just, it just seems such a, like such a missed opportunity to kind of like really do something a little special with it. As opposed to just kind of being like, uh, and and also too, these are also too. I can't believe I just said that. But these are 1972. This is that's pre the DC Marvel treasuries. They didn't really DC did the Rudolph in like early 73, I think. Marvel didn't start until later. So like it wasn't like the treasury format was like an established thing that hmm. that, that that modern promotions was leapfrogging on because as you just talked about, it seems like since they were like a reprint company you know, they would be inclined to just be like kind of hopping onto whatever trend was popular. But it seems like it's before it the trend. Right. So they were just trying something and yeah. I, you know, it probably could have worked had they had a little more business savvy, but they just, no, yeah. you know, this is the rack toy of, uh, <laughs> of, of, of treasuries though, you know, you know, That's and it. you know what those things they're, they're, those yes. are wonderful junk. Yeah. You know, rack toys are just trash, but and and this I think is like like I like this. This is fun. I would have loved it if they'd have done more of them. Again, I I I, I would oh sure love, love to have seen uh you know uh, Phantom and and Prince Valiant Tracy and Prince Valiant. Yeah, that would have been yeah. that would have been boss. I mean, they said DC of course did the one Dick Tracy Treasury, which is which like is one wonderful. of my most beloved items. So it's uh, and that's such yeah. a great book. I, I wish I could have talked to you about that one. <laughs> oh, I love that one. I love that one so much. So okay, so now there is a second Flash Gordon Treasury, uh, which is a little a little sharper on the presentation, but and we'll talk about that in a second. But I do want to tell a very brief story because again, I was running through the creation of Flash Gordon, and you know, going reading some of the stuff, and like I said, I didn't realize that Alex Raymond's run on the strip was so brief. I thought that he was because when you think of Flash Gordon. He's the name you think of, as I said. He's oh, the creator. Sure. He's the guy whose art is on the credits of the movie, you know. Uh, and so Dan Barry, I think, gets a little, unless you're like a, 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 you know, an uber fan and you know the history of the strip, 
he probably gets a little underserved because Alex Raymond's name is just so pronounced. So anyway, sure. the closest I have to an Alex Raymond story, because of course I never met the man. He passed away a long time ago in the fifties, actually. Yeah. In a car accident. And that's related Terrible. to the story that I'm going to, I'm going to, I have. So of course I, as everyone knows, or makes fun of me because I mention it all the time. I attended the Joe Cuber school of cartoon and graphic art. One of my, one of my teachers was the legendary artist Tex Blaisdell. Oh, Tex. Right? Tex. Love Tex stories. Most, you know, the funnest guy to deal with. Just full of great stories. Completely unromantic with the world of comics. You know, just, he just like was a job and he loved it. So anyway, he told us this story because what happened is Alex Raymond comes back from World War II. He wants to pick up Flash Gordon and King Features is like, well, we're doing pretty well with Dan Barry. We don't need you, but you can create another strip. So he creates the detective strip, Rip Kirby. And yeah. Rip Kirby and becomes a giant hit as well. And Alex Raymond is on it for a lot longer. And this was an era when comic strips, as you just talked about, Nicholas, were like the preeminent medium for kids. You know, comics sold, but comic, you know, adults also read comic strips as well. So yeah. comic strips were huge. So in the time, if you had a big comic strip, like you were living high on the hawk. Like it oh, was, you yeah. were making a really good living. So apparently Alex Raymond lived a fairly high toned lifestyle with kind of like a big house and had sure. really fancy cars and like he's doing really well for himself. So and anyway, he created four hugely successful comic strips, secret agent X nine and jungle Jim are Alex Raymond as well. Yeah. I mean, the guy had the knack for it. I mean, oh, yeah. absolutely. One of the great, you know, one of the great sequential, Uh, a comic artist of all time. So Tex is telling you this story about one one time where Alex Raymond comes to Tex and says, Hey man, I want you basically to unofficially take over Rip Kirby for me. Like you're going to ghost me and I'm going to seed more and more of the strip over to you because I don't want to do it anymore. And he's going to, I guess he's going to do some, he's going to do like a Dan Barry thing, you know, where he's going to like plot it you know, or come up sure. with some stories and do some layouts, but Tex is going to take it, right? So Tex is like super excited because this is like a ticket to the big time. You know, he's going to make yeah. a lot of money. So this is all exciting. So le- less than like a couple of weeks later, Alex Raymond apparently wraps his sports car around a tree and gets killed. Oh. And Texas, <laughs> he told us at the time, this is, and again, he's telling us this in like 1989, right? So right. this is 1950s, so we're 30 years later. Texas' sole response apparently at the time was, God damn it, Alex Raymond! I was so close to the big time! <laughs> because King Features didn't know about the deal and handed Rip Kirby off to other people. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. I mean, I... <laughs> I enjoy Tex. You know, he, he, he inked a lot of great, uh, you know, 70s Superman stories. Yep. Uh, uh, that's, that's like my prime, my prime Tex Blaisdell uh, reading. Uh, but I, I love hearing stories about this guy. I have another friend who went to the Cuban school, and he would tell us stories about Tex as oh, well. That's great. Uh, it was, he was so unromantic about <laughs> <laughs> the world of comics though yeah but that was the one we think about that he was just mad at alex raymond for oh killing himself and uh denying text the you know maybe a nicer car at a bigger house or whatever <laughs> so, oh every time i read alex raymond it's the first thing i think of like, oh yeah texas just texas just got mad about that oh, so man. okay uh <laughs> so funny i uh uh 
I always have time for a Tex Blasdell story or an Irwin Hazen story. Oh, yeah. um, another guy, another, oh another guy with amazing <laughs> stories. So, okay. So the other treasury I wanted to talk about uh, is from, it's part of a series yeah. from Pacific Comics Club reprinting a series of Flesh Gordon strips. And I'll tell everybody, so Nicholas mentions this, right? He, you, I think you posted a picture that you were like, I finally completed the set or something. And yeah. I was like, what? what are these? <laughs> what, what the hell are these? And I go on eBay and I see that not only did Pacific comics club do four flash Gordon treasuries, reprinting the ships, they also did the phantom as well. And then I went and did research and apparently they also did five issues of Casey Ruggles in this format and yeah. supposedly 15 rip Kirby's. Oh, wow. I didn't know yeah. about any of this. I, I literally never that. heard of these things before. So I have you to thank for oh, introducing sure. me to this new, you know, quote unquote, new treasury because I never knew yeah. these existed before. So how long have you had these? So um, I, these are recent acquisitions. I was aware that they uh, existed, but um, Pacific Comics Club is kind of interesting. I think the guy was based in Tahiti, whoever ran nice it. Place, and it's like, they run a comic company. Jeez. And it's and it's mail order only, and they were just getting the rights to to reprint. You know, this, apparently whoever this part, this guy who, that ran the Pacific Comics Club, uh, you know, just loved the heck out of these adventure strips, and was like, well, you know what, I want to re- reprint them. <laughs> you know, I'm like, and and I'm so glad uh, that they did because um, these are really beautiful looking little books. They really big. are. Um, you know, oh. as much as like we were just talking about the modern promotions is kind of no frills. Uh, these are actually really, really quite nice, nicely done additions. They have these nice cardstock covers. Yeah. Um, they are, and then on the front, they literally they they list the dates of the strips they're reprinting, and they're you know the the one that I have, I have number two, I believe, and it reprints the strips from August twenty seventh, nineteen forty, to November thirteenth, uh, nineteen forty, and these are done by uh, Austin Briggs. So Austin Briggs was the first person to do uh, Flash Gordon after Alex Raymond. Right. And boy, is it in capable hands. The art is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, yeah, it really is quite nice. It really is. I was, I said, I was impressed by these. And uh, so, so as far as you know, does Pacific Comics Club have anything to do with Pacific Comics or are they just two companies with similar names? Oh, I think they're uh, entirely different. Pacific Comics, the indie publisher in the 80s. No, no connection. Okay. All right. Okay. Because um, I just saw the word and I was like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Interesting to, to know that um, at, I think, Treasury or similar size, um, but turned the other way. So, like, the staples are on the, you know, you open it uh, right. vertically or, or horizontally. Whatever. Yeah, they're horizontally, not vertically. Vertical, yeah. Yeah, they, they have some other ones um, where they, in, in at this size, but done it uh, the other way, the staples on the other side of... I think there's six volumes of Alex Raymond last mm. that they did. And I'm like, I am like chomping <laughs> uh, at, at, at get grabbing these as well, you know, <laughs> because boy, that's a whole lot of, uh, uh, big pages at the, uh, of Flash Gordon comics. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, as much as it is kind of a little um, awkward to have them on your bookshelf, that's really the best way to reprint these strips is the horizontal yeah. format that IDW's been doing those beautiful yeah. hardcover editions because it's like that's the format. <laughs> these are horizontal strips; they're not vertical. You know, they're not meant to be read this way. Now, the 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 
Pacific Comics Club, Phil Lesh Gordon's, does do a Ming storyline. They they oh, just yes. went they went straight ahead for what you want, and it's a Ming storyline. Yeah. Now, what did you think? Now, as I said I only have issue two. You have the whole run. Yeah. Um, what do you? What only, did you? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying. I only uh, I've only read the first two. Okay. Uh, of the four, but um, but um, part one, uh, you know, issue one is really nice, and it leads into kind of where we're, where we're at uh, 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 in 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 this issue, and uh, I. I love this stuff. I feel like I interrupted your question, and I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. I was just curious about what you thought of this as 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 an adventure. Like, having only read number two, it's less complete because it's you know you're catching it in the middle and then it's ending yeah, kind of in the middle. You're being but dropped it, in. Yeah, Slash meets these weird people. And, right, yeah. but it was still Ming. You know, it's still you know it's still Ming the Merciless, which again, just a sort of like classic. Flash Gordon sort of thing. And so again, the presentation is really quite nice. The, the, the cover is, you know, in full color. And as I mentioned, the covers are, are cardstock and there's a company logo on the back. So now they're only 20 pages. These books are, are 20. Um, well, some of them are. Oh, um, really? I think volumes three, let me see. I have them right here. So the first couple are only like 18, 20 pages. Right. right. Um, but you're getting a lot of comic strips reprinted on them at this size because it's, you know, you, you can fit a lot of comics on, on, on these big treasure size pages. So there's a whole lot of comic book in these. It's not like some paltry thing, but let me see. Let's see. Yeah. But volume three is 38 pages. Oh, holy, wow. Really? And then uh, double the length of the one I have. Oh, volume four is 38 pages. Excuse me. Oh, and that's, so that one's another 20 pages. So um, hmm. it's funny. Cause you know, they could have done these in like, two really nice thick mm-hmm. editions which yeah. would have been a lot of pleasure but but you know four books it's nice yeah. <laughs> it's really nice now you mentioned these were mail order only is that why they because i just realized that there's no price on these things so yeah, would have um, had to have so, yeah yeah so it's like um that's my understanding is is it that, that they're 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 mail order only and that's why there's no you would not have found this in a retail place like maybe right. maybe some of the early comic shops you know would have would have stocked them but they would have had to have you know a connection to to get it you know I, I wonder how did anybody even know about them like i don't ever remember seeing ads for them anywhere in anything because like i said when you mentioned them to me i didn't even know what you were talking about and then i go to ebay and i find like oh my god there's these whole things so like where would anybody have even and it's crazy because they're, they're plentiful order they're plentiful on ebay it's not like yeah they're, they're like, cheap yeah 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 uh which is wonderful that's that's very nice but um I feel like these probably got advertised in the back, uh, you know, somewhere in like small blurbs in like fanzines and like some of the uh, independent ish comic press of the 80s, you know, like um, Amazing Heroes and, and, mm, you know, maybe. and stuff like that. That's probably where they advertised. Hmm. And, you know, there was there's the magazine, the comics review that reprints oh, sure. a lot of sure. comic strips. They may have had. They may have advertised it. I can't remember exactly when they started publishing, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not being in, uh, advertised in Time Magazine, which is unfortunate. But, uh, but, but, I mean, I guess they it, it worked well enough that they did. They did fifteen was, Rip Kirby's, and they did you know a bunch yeah, of fans. I mean, yeah. they did. It wasn't like they just did two or three and then bailed. They actually did quite a quite a few of them. So yeah, I said they're they're very pretty editions. Uh, it does looking at these two books, it does make me feel. I do feel sorry that Flash Gordon has never gotten like a full color treasury, you know, reprinting yeah. the Sunday's edition. So the Sundays, that just would have been so beautiful. 
to see, you know, but they don't, you know, I guess whoever uh, has the rights to the the character now, I mean, still King Features, the strip ended in 2003, but I mean, it's still owned by King Features, but it's, you know, both these books are nice. Again, the the Pacific Comics Club one is is a much more handsome edition, but man, I would have loved to see this in color. At a big yeah, size, it yeah. so cool. Yeah, um, and 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 seeing the Sunday pages at that size would be just beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Oh man, um, yeah. But it, we get a nice smattering of like t- two very dis- uh, different eras of the daily strips, and it's it is uh, it's riveting <laughs> material. It's it it is uh, uh, it's not Judge Parker, you know what I mean? It's not <laughs> or Mary Rex Wood, Morgan, but, MD, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, it's really nice. There, like I said, I was so I, I I didn't know that there were any treasuries left for me to discover. You know, mm-hmm. I thought I really kind of mapped them all. And then when you just mentioned that, and I was like, "What? <laughs> what are you talking about?" You know, I have no idea. And then there they are, and not only just Flash Gordon, but Phantom and all these other characters. So, yeah, thank you, Pacific Comics Club, you crazy bastards, for printing these from Tahiti somewhere and. Getting them, uh, getting them available. They're really, really quite nice. So, uh, yeah. So, Flash Gordon, you know, not kind of missed a little as a Treasury star, but nevertheless, I'm glad that we have these at, at least to uh, to enjoy. Oh yeah, um, these these are, are are great. I'm 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 glad they exist for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, before we sign off here, there's one other little brief story I want to talk about Flash Gordon in, in terms of the comic strip, uh, because as again, I was doing research on the strip and I was seeing who worked on it. It mentioned that in the mid-90s, it was written and drawn, or was written by Kevin Van Hook, and uh, who's a writer and comic artist, and I'm friends with Kevin, and I, oh. did, I did not know that. I was like, wait a minute, Kevin Van Hook did Flash Gordon? I didn't know that. So I wrote him, and I, I said, hey, Kevin, is that, this is you? This is, you know, there's not another Kevin Van, Kevin Van Hook? And he goes, no, 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 that's me. And I was so excited. I knew somebody that actually wrote Flash Gordon. Unfortunately, um, he did the strips in from May 16th, 1993 to January 2nd, 1994. And they are pretty much unavailable. They've never been reprinted. There's a website called Comics Kingdom that reprints uh, classic comic strips in all their glory. Uh, and I, you can subscribe to that. And I did, but they unfortunately don't go back that far. They go back, they go back to like 96. It was so close. Uh, oh. But they don't have this. So I had no way to read any of, of Kevin's uh, Flash Gordon. But he was nice enough to answer a few interview questions. I'm going to read those because I'm just, I was so in love with the idea of, I've actually, you know, know someone that put words into Flash Gordon's mouth. So, um, yeah, so this is what I asked him. I asked him, how did you get the gig? And he said, I I have been trying, I've been trying out to draw secret agent Corrigan, taking over the strip from George Evans, also Rip Kirby, taking over from John Prentice. Both decided not to retire. And Jay Kennedy at King Features called me up and asked how I felt about writing another Alex Raymond creation, Flash Gordon. I jumped at it. Uh, I asked him, were you a big Flash Gordon fan before this? Did you have a favorite era of the strip? And he says, I was a huge fan of the original Alex Raymond stuff. Uh, and then I said, did you get any direction from King Features? Uh, try something completely different or stick to classic Flash versus Ming sorts of stories? And he said, no, it was all up to me. And then finally I said, was it fun and or creatively satisfying? And he said, I really enjoyed it. It gave me something that wasn't tied to my regular work with Valiant. And that made me feel a little safer, not having all my eggs in one basket. The writing was challenging. There were rules about how many balloons and how many panels. It was like writing a haiku. 
My only regret was that the artwork was kind of being knocked out by a studio in South America. I ended up getting to draw one Sunday strip because of a scheduling problem, but I had to make it feel like theirs. That was tough concerning my taste and style was very much the Raymond Williamson school. I only quit writing it because I signed an exclusive contract with Valiant. I'm still a big fan of Flash Gordon. So that was really cool. I was so excited. Yeah. I, I got to find those at some point. I really want to read what, what Kevin uh, did with Flash Gordon. But uh, yeah, I thought that was super cool. Then I was like, I, yeah, wow. I know somebody that did Flash Gordon. That's really neat, Rob. Yeah. I mean, uh, and uh, there's a couple of, uh, in the Flash Gordon Death to Ming group, Jim Keefe. Jim Keefe, right. He's who was, a uh, who was I think, the most recent uh, guy to work on the strip. I think he worked on it. Well, I take it back. He, but he worked on it late in, in its run, and it's, you know, it's, it's no longer being published. And then uh, Bo Hampton, who was uh, an assistant oh, to... great assistant, artist, yeah. Yeah, who, well, and he's assistant to uh, Al Williamson, Ooh. who was an assistant to Al Williamson. So I'm like, we, we got a couple of really strong Flash Gordon uh, uh, connections. Uh, in the group, which is really fun. Yeah, that is really cool. I, I really, the, the group is really fun and I love being part of it. And again, I didn't even know it existed. So uh, thank you for helping indoctrinate me to the world of Flash Gordon, Nicholas. I've oh, really been anytime. enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, so uh, that's it. Those are, the, those are the two Flash Gordon treasuries. Like I said, I'm going to do my best to get some pictures of them on the gallery page, but like I said, they're not available uh, online anywhere. So the pictures might be a little dodgy. I apologize, everybody. Uh, but, uh, but I, like I said, I am, I'm just neck deep in the flash Gordon cult right now. Uh, oh, and, and, uh, to, yeah. Oh man. And to that end, uh, after, uh, we're going to, we're going to run some ads and then we're going to come back with listener feedback, but in the, I'm also going to stick some audio of me playing the game. So you're going to get to hear me playing. There's some soundboard. You get to hear Ming say, try again, Earthling, and stuff like that. So uh, I'm going to run a little bit of that uh, before we sign off. But, but as we wrap up here, Nicholas, uh, thank you for, again, for, for getting me so far into the Flesh Gordon world. And why don't you tell people uh, where they can find you out on the Internet? Well, let's see. Um, a good place to find me is a search on Facebook, uh, Flash Gordon, colon, death to Ming. Uh, that's, uh, that's our Flash Gordon fan group. Great place to engage on this subject. If you're a fan of like psychedelic rock, you can check out my podcast, Captain Freakout Psychedelic Radio. It's a block of curated music I put together every week. It's a lot of fun. If that's your jam, that's there wherever you get podcasts. All right. Sounds good. Like I said, we're going to get you on Mountain Comics or Super Friends for all mankind so we can, you can officially become a member of Kelly's Heroes. Yay! <laughs> I'm sure you've been dying, dying to achieve that. Uh, the, that Have you that, talked about Kelly's Heroes on Film and Water? Uh, the movie? No, I haven't done Kelly's Heroes yet. Yeah, well, no, I'm sure it's on. a fun it's movie. Just waiting there, Clint Eastwood, Donald Sutherland. Yeah, well, I guess that was the original name of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, and then the the other guys didn't go with that. So, uh, so, <laughs> so, so anyway, as I said, everybody, stay tuned. I'm going to play some promos. You're going to hear some uh, audio of me failing. To score very many points <laughs> at the flash card game, I'm new at it. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get better at it. Luckily, I work from home, so I think there's probably gonna be a couple of times I'm gonna wander away from my desk to, to play the flash card and pinball game. Uh, and when I come back, I'm gonna do some listener feedback. Howdy, Nicholas Prom here. 
I want to tell you all about my new show, Captain Freakout Psychedelic Radio. It's a weekly block of mind-altering music from the 60s, 70s, and beyond. Tune in, turn on, and freak out wherever groovy podcasts are consumed. That's Captain Freakout's Psychedelic Radio, available on all podcasting platforms. And it's time for listener feedback. And this is the feedback we got on the previous episode of Treasure Cast number 70, which was the DC comic treasury ads with my guests, Greg Arujo and Sean Ross. So let's get right to the comments we got on the website, findwaterpodcast.com. First up, Matt Sorois, who says, thanks for another fun episode, gentlemen. A true treasure trove of nostalgic ads, plus a tragic look at a treasury that would never come to be. It's a shame that King Arthur's story never happened. Maybe that stone just refused to give up the sword. It's amazing how delightful it can be to look back at these old advertisements. You not only get a look at some great artwork, but also the art of marketing. The many different ways that they tried to entice you into buying these things. Hey, kids, Batman is sold out. Better order these other books while you can. Wow, look at how valuable these comics will be in the future. Better by now. Invest in your future. Sometimes when I'm rereading an old book, I find myself spending more time looking at the ads than the story itself. Recently, I went through my early 80s Marvel books reading those serialized comic strip advertisements for Dungeons and Dragons. Look out for the dripping green slime. Damn it, Indel. We can't take you anywhere. <laughs> I, you know, I will say this, Matt. One of the th- reasons I don't like looking at comics online, like on, you know, the various apps, is because they don't have the ads. Um, now, if I'm reading it just to read the story, sure. But if I kind of want to return to that era, that the comic was printed in, uh, you lose something not having the ads, the hostess ads and all the other, you know, as you mentioned, the Dungeons and Dragons ads and stuff like that. So yeah, I really, I, I end up buying the hard copy because I like the whole sort of presentation. So thank you so much. Uh, Chris Franklin, former network says fun show fellas quote. We don't rest in our laurels in quote. Sounds like it should come from the older stuffier DC ran by Infantino. It's all Harrison, not Jeanette Conzera. She must have been out that day that it got approved. <laughs> that ad with the monster mask is interesting. The price tells me these are cheap latex masks, not the expensive Hollywood-like quality Don Post masks. I'm not really an expert on them, but I guess that these are either by Topstone or more likely Ben Cooper, who, of course, also made the kids' Halloween costumes. I still love the Ben Cooper costumes, despite their off-brand designs. It gives them a unique identity. Uh, I lucked into a box of Spider-Man, a boxed Spider-Man costume a few weeks ago at a great price, and I love it. Oh, and I wonder if a young Susanna Hoffs saw this ad and thought, hey, the Rudolph DC Comics were reprinted at least once in an odd little Christmas ornament I own. It's a small hardcover book with a few pages of DC Rudolph content on the inside. There's even a credit assuring readers that the book was reprinted with permission from DC. Rudolph is indeed a licensed character, although I think the different versions of it were held by different owners over the years. Now I think everything, the children's book, the song, the Rankin-Bass special are owned by Classic Media, which according uh, to what day it is, is now owned by Universal. Based on his comments about seeing the first film, I now know why we never had Sean on Superman Movie Minute. Uh, True to everything there, Chris. I love the Ben Coopers. Uh, There are a few Ben Cooper MASH costumes. Uh, I think there's one for Hawkeye and maybe Klinger. Uh, why any kid would want to dress as Klinger, I don't know. But man, if I ever saw those at a cheap enough price, I would I would pick them up. So thank you for that. Ted Kelvington says, another great episode, Rob, being born in 1968. I saw many of these ads when they were first printed, and I would drool over them. I did want to point out that one of the very first Dial H villain creators was renowned science fiction author Harlan Ellison. Also, I was 12 when the Laurels ad came out, and I had to ask my mom what it meant. She thought it meant bottoms. Definitely an ineffective tagline. 
Brett Michael Young says, what a fun episode. I remember enjoying the Marvel ad with uh, Marvel ad episode with Greg and Sean so much. I started tracking down their podcasts and did a deep dive into pulp to pixels, pulp to pixel pods. Hard to say. Great stuff. I particularly remember some of these ads as a kid, especially the Legion wedding and the Superman versus Spider-Man treasuries. I was able to find the Legion one when it came out and read it to shreds. Still have it too. I wrapped it up in plastic to keep it from disintegrating. So many cool covers. I can just stare at these ads forever. Neil Adams, Batman versus Raish is amazing. Superman has to fight everybody. Even beat up the Bicentennial and tossed it to Tomahawk. And that Super Year is Here ad hit me as soon as I saw it. I remember that ad wanting to and wanting to go get every Superman comic in it. I think I ended up with about four of them. But I, in my defense, I was seven. We don't rest on our laurels. We don't identify with readers, DC. Hey, my fellow kids, how about these Hall notes and the such? I am, <laughs> I am imagining it was greenlit by the same guy who let Kurt Swan draw Superman for 80 years. Apologies to Chris Franklin. All in all, great trip down memory lane. Keep up the great work, Rob. Thank you so much, Brett. Edo Boznar says... As with last year's show with the Marvel ads, I thoroughly enjoyed this one as well. Otherwise, it almost seems like I can copy-paste my comment from that last show here as they apply as well. First, the ad for the Batman Roz treasure. Yes, I said it two different ways. Uh, I mentioned last year and several times before, I think, how deeply imprinted on my brain that house ad is and how frustrating it was that the book never appeared in any of my usual grocery store, convenience store, drugstore, common buying haunts of the time. Second, on the topic of how the treasuries were mailed. You could have just read my comment from last time, as I noted that based on the two DC treasuries I ordered back then, they were sent in sturdy cardboard mailers. Anyway, looking forward to the next five minute, I'm assuming, ad show. Yeah, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, that there's just, yeah, I would love to do a, a third show on, on the non-DC Marvel ads for treasuries, but yeah, I think there's like two. Uh, Trey Payne says, fantastic episode as well. I used to stare at these ads uh, forever fantasizing about which issues I'd order once I mowed enough lawns. <laughs> you even posted a few in the gallery I'd never seen before and have no memory of. Concerning the Dick Tracy treasury, and maybe I got this uh, info from your article in Back Issue, Rob, but I remember reading DC had planned to do a couple of these if Tracy had sold well, including a planned Terry in the Pirates collection. But alas, you said sales were just not there. I actually got a copy last year, thanks to a very generous friend who had a double, read it that night and had a blast. Such a fun read. Yeah, that's actually not in my backish article about the, the Dick Tracy treasure because I did not know that. I didn't know that uh, Terry and the Pirates was a possibility. That would yeah, what a what a sad missed opportunity that could have been to have more Dick Tracy. I mean, you know, wow. I mean, they could have done DC could have gotten the rights to all sorts of cool comics, like even Flash Gordon, we were just talking about earlier. So darn shame. But kids at the time, they didn't know what they had. Lizanne Oswald says. Uh, the Superman and Muhammad Ali comic is pretty cool, though it most remembered for the artwork and the fact that Muhammad Ali is in it. Rudolph had a summer fun comic? Weird. Uh, it is too bad that King Arthur didn't get published, although I'm not sure why he's wearing a toga. I'm pretty sure that's not how they would have dressed at the time, particularly if he's drawing Excalibur. The long cape and well toga aren't exactly what one would go into battle with. <laughs> Mike Dynas says, uh, what a fantastic follow-up to the Marvel ad show. Having Greg and Sean back is wonderful to hear. For a Canadian and one on the left coast to boot, Four to six, six to eight weeks for delivery seems normal to me. This is how I grew up, and it seemed just like it always took forever to receive anything in the mail. I want to say that everything was shipped from some warehouse in New Jersey. Comics, comic t-shirts, Nintendo Power, the Clark Kent Superpowers action figure. The whole next day, Prime stuff seems like science fiction to me. What's next? Are they going to beam the comics into our home in minutes? What's that now about comics on tablets? Ha! I love uh, those cheap Halloween masks. Every kid wants to be the goof. <laughs> that best of DC with Alex Toth's dirty job would have been amazing at treasury size. I feel whether you are religious or not, that was one of his best stories. Ah, who am I kidding? 
All his stories are his best stories. True that. The Super Year is here, and we don't rest on our laurels. Ads are my favorite. Uh, these are the type of ads I love seeing as a kid. Anytime they had a bunch of different titles in one ad, that was the best because you could see what you had and what you didn't. I feel like it also got me to try out some different titles just by seeing all those covers. The problem was the reason I wanted to try these titles is because I couldn't find them at the store. Comic distribution being what it was back then, some of these titles seemed like like a fantasy that never got made because they just never showed up at the corner store. What a fun trip down memory lane. It makes me want to peruse the spinner rack for all these titles. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Isamu Hideki Yukinori says, I have taken a look through my dad's copies of Amazing World of DC Comics to see what they had in the unpublished King Arthur Treasury comic. This is what I found. First mention was in Amazing World of DC Comics number seven, page 15, announcing King Arthur and the Knights of the Roundtable as a bi-monthly comic book series. As mentioned, that editor Joe Orlando did the page layouts, which might explain his top billing credit in the ad you talked about. Next mention in AWODCC8, King Arthur will now be published as a dollar limited collector's edition tabloid instead of a bi-monthly 25 cent title. I guess the tabloid would collect the first planned four issues in one volume, explaining the four-part series line in the ad. Page 31 of AWODCC10. The King Arthur script by Jerry Conway was reported to be finished, and the project was currently in various stages of art and expected to be released in May 1976, barring unforeseen circumstances. Page 13 of AWODCC11. Mention the King Arthur Limited Collector's Edition is nearing completion. We hope to have it to you in late summer or early fall of 76. This paragraph also stated that you'll find the cover adorning these very pages, but there was no cover image in the entire issue. In fact, there was no art for King Arthur project shown in any issue of AWODCC. However, there were pages shown in the nine-page article in Back Issue Magazine. Uh, pages 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 11, plus the wraparound cover that was supposed to be shown in AWODCC. The cover was an awesome watercolor painting. Perhaps AWODCC staffers found they couldn't print it well in black and white and decided not to, and either forgot or had no time to correct the text. The back issue article includes quotes from Jerry Conway that confirmed this was originally planned as a four-part comic book series and that would end with the death of King Arthur, but also suggested that this would be printed as a four-color issue, four issue tabloid size series because he said that this finished script for the first issue when DC decided they no longer wanted to run original material in large format books. The same reason the JLA Earth Dice Screaming and the Super Junior's Christmas tabloids never saw a treasury size print. So now we know what happened. Thank you for all that legwork, uh, Isamu. Yeah, it's again, another completely lost uh, opportunity. Big, big missed opportunity. Scott McFadden says, this was such a great episode. The descriptions really bring back those ads to my memory. I must have seen some of them because many of them do ring a bell. It's like I can see them in my mind's eye even now. I think that my next door neighbor actually had the Wizard of Oz treasure. I can remember paging through it, but I know that I never owned it myself. The kid next door seemed like the most likely person among my friends to have had an Oz book like that. I'm not Canadian, but I'll agree with Mike Dinas in regard to shipping times. To my memory, being a kid in the 70s, allow four to six weeks for delivery or sometimes even six to eight seems pretty standard. Not just for comic books, but for just about anything you order through the mail. Toys for the series catalog, as for Specs, those KTEL record albums that advertised on TV, everything seemed to ask you to allow four to six weeks. I never ordered enough stuff to see how accurate four to six was. Maybe they overestimated, so if you got it before that, it felt like a real treat. Jim Smith says, I don't post very often, but I just wanted to pop in to say how much fun this episode was. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Jim. I hope you come back and comment some more. Paul Ken from our network says, great episode as usual. I think the reason they were claiming Superman number one was the most important comic ever published was that it was the first comic devoted to a single character exclusively. All the other Golden Age titles were anthologies. It was so important that we shortly got Batman, All Flash, Wonder Woman, etc. 
At least that is the story I'm sticking with. And man, I would have loved to see the King Arthur story in any format. The AW DCC articles are cool, but I do like the idea of having other characters traveling through time and using the pages. Nestor Redondo's art is amazing in Rima and Swamp Thing. Again, very true. And then finally, final comment is uh, from Dallin Baumgarten, who says, almost, almost as good as the Marvel Ads episode, but only because I'm more of a Marvel fan. The three of you make for a titanic trio of podcasting power. I hope you'll come back for another, uh, another fun excuse to record together. Kudos. But yes, Dallin, I'd be happy to have uh, Greg and Sean back on TreasureCast or any of my other shows they are always a blast to record with. So uh, that is going to do it for this episode of TreasureCast. Thanks, everybody, for the comments. I really appreciate it. Big thanks to Nicholas Prom for coming on and talking Flash Gordon with me. I thank you, everybody, for kind of indulging me and in doing uh, this episode just basically devoted to, to a character that I'm in love with now because I have the pinball machine. And man, I love this thing. And it's going to take all the self-control I can muster to still put out uh, podcasts when I could be playing pinball. And because uh, again, I just love this machine so very much. So uh, again, that's going to do it for this episode of Treasure Cast. Thanks everybody for listening. You can find back episodes of the show on our website, frontwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any pie catcher of your choice. We're always talking treasuries over on Twitter at Treasury Comics. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, let's go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. There you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be named checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Jeff Pollier and Brett Young for their support of Treasury Cast. I very much appreciate it. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you next month. But until then, go big or go home. the amazing interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon. These thrilling adventures come to you as they are pictured each Sunday in the Comic Weekly, the world's greatest pictorial supplement of humor and adventure. The Comic Weekly, now printed in 32 tabloid-sized pages, each page in full four colors, is distributed everywhere as an integral part of your Hearst Sunday newspaper. <laughs> 